Hi, and welcome to Bread. We're a newish, open-minded, spirit-filled, non-denominational church who now meet each week in Hollywood Adventist on the corner of Hollywood Boulevard and Van Ness in Los Angeles. In-person church life, as with the rest of life, is going to take a while to find its shape again post-Covid, and slowly and surely is going to be our mantra for a while. All these podcasts are taken for the time being from our Sunday services, hence the not always perfect audio quality and background noises. You can live stream them or watch the videos later on bread.church if that's more your thing. How to return is the theme of the current series. We hope it serves you well. Day. Uh, for those of us who went away on our Alpha Day, welcome back. I was very encouraged by all the stories we just heard, um, and Malibu was just such a good time. We had a blast there at the beach, and I'm excited for the next one. Uh, but this morning we'll be continuing our Alpha theme. Uh, over the weekend we talked about the experience of God experience of the Holy Spirit, and today we're going to be asking why this is important. I'll get to our specific question in a moment, but first I'd like to read this story out of Mark chapter 1. This is uh, Mark 1 verses 4 through 14, and it says this, and so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. I feel like John belongs in Los Angeles. Um, But this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So basically what we have in this passage is an introduction to Jesus. And introductions are a pretty big thing. You know, we all want to leave a good first impression when we begin a new job, when we meet someone new, when we try out a new church. Regardless of the situation, we often try to introduce ourselves in the best possible way. Introductions um, 
typically involve us introducing ourselves in a way that is true to ourselves. You know, they're important because they say something about who we are and what we're about. And unless you're a spy, we'd like to introduce ourselves as we really are. You know, as our real selves, not as someone we're not. And we do this when we introduce people to others as well. You know, for example, if I were to introduce Ed here to someone who maybe did not know him, I would say Ed is a pastor. He loves soccer, and he hates the music of Drake. And I think we can all testify to that. Um, but similarly, in this story, we get an introduction of Jesus. John describes him as the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I find it interesting that of all the things that Jesus did, of all the things that John knew Jesus would do, he chooses to use this, these words. He sums it up um, by saying, Jesus, who will come and baptize with the Holy Spirit. And this tells us that in order to understand Jesus, we must embrace all that he does. And so the question I'd like to explore this morning is why does Jesus need to baptize us with the Holy Spirit? Why does Jesus need to do this? Uh, point number one, it's so that we can be in close relationship. Verse four, it says, he will baptize you, I'm sorry, verse eight says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And this suggests that there were uh, limits to the physicality of Jesus. You know, Jesus in the physical embodied person that, that he was, wasn't enough. And I'll explain why in just a second. Some of you are looking at me like that is heresy. Um, but this, suge this suggests that because Jesus was human, that there were limits on who he was. And, you know, God is infinite and powerful, but in taking on human form, Jesus put limits on himself. For example, he was not able to be everywhere at once. He needed sleep. He got hungry. And Jesus was also subject to temperature and time, and he experienced things like pain and pleasure. And so we needed the physical presence of Jesus to see what God is like and to take on himself the brokenness of the world, but there's more than just that. See, this is why Jesus elsewhere, he says, it is better that I go so that the Spirit can come. And it would be impossible, just imagine with me for a second, it would be impossible for the physical person of Jesus to be with, you know, the 7.7 .7 billion people that live on earth. Can you imagine just everywhere you go, you've got to take a plus one. It's not really practical. But the plan has always been for the Spirit to be among God's people. God wants to be so involved in our lives, so close, so known by us that he chooses to baptize us in the Holy Spirit. I find it, I find it funny that in translating the Bible, there, there are certain words that the translators chose not to translate. Um, like this word baptism, like who, that's not an English word, you know, why wouldn't you just translate it, but the word baptize literally means to submerge, 
to, to immerse, to dip. Um, like last time, I also have a little illustration for us. So this is a cup of foggy water, okay, because we're in L.A., um, and this is you. This is a little bread sponge. This is you, okay? So this is what the scriptures have in mind when they say, uh, when John says, um, Jesus will baptize you in the Holy Spirit, the sense of submerging, the sense of dipping. And so here we go. We're going to dip this. So all, literally baptism is just that. Being filled in the Spirit is just that. Being baptized with the Holy Spirit is just submerging, being immersed, being dipped in the Holy Spirit. And the great part of it is, when you come out, you just soak the Spirit. You know, you just release the Spirit. You, you, you um, are a carrier of the presence of the Spirit. And so to be a Christian without being submerged in the Spirit is like being a car. It's like being in a car without, you know, with an empty fuel tank. It just doesn't really work. And when we are immersed in the Spirit, we can feel a, a bubbling up of emotion. Sometimes it feels like we're walking lightly. Sometimes it feels like a weight has been taken off. And other times it feels like, you know, more physical expressions like shaking, like shaking or a weakening of our knees. But these are just a few of the signs that means we are experiencing a submerging in the Holy Spirit. And it is in these moments that a personal relationship with God becomes so real. We, we, we discover that God is who he says he is, that he is personal. And I'm, I'm encouraged by um, a friend of mine who had gone to Alpha. Uh, he had gone to an Alpha weekend and had seen almost everyone kind of experiencing the Spirit. And he prayed, come Holy Spirit, again and again throughout the day, but had, hadn't really had that like tangible submersion experience that he was hoping for and understandably you know he went to bed that night kind of disappointed and a little bit angry and the following morning you know to, to make himself feel better he said I'm, I'm gonna go on a jog I'm gonna go get some fresh air and while on the jog he just like poured his heart out to God he, he, he just communicated what he was feeling as if he was talking to a friend he was honest and upfront and just saying, God, I, I was hoping for this, but, but nothing happened. Like, what is going on? And as this happened, the Spirit just came over him powerfully while he was jogging on the side of the road. And it was in that moment that my friend's relationship with God had become so much more real, so much more intimate, and, that he, was, and, and he was so convinced that God had seen and heard him. And I know for some of us that had maybe, maybe we've come to the front or maybe we've gone to the Alpha day away um, and maybe we didn't experience what we were hoping for and, and we can kind of share in the sense of anger and disappointment like my friend did. But it's sometimes the case that we don't experience what we're hoping for. And we have no explanation why other than, you know, God can do what he wants because he's God 
But also any attempt to manipulate him or others will just lead to more pain. And so what we can take away from my friend is this, and I'm, I'm, I'm uh, affirmed by you know, the prophetic word that Casey shared. Um, what we can take away is this, is my friend just kept coming back. He just kept coming back again and again. Whenever an opportunity came for him to get prayed for, he just kept coming back. And he just remained open to the Spirit. And the thing about intimacy is it can't be manipulated. It can't be forced. It can't be, um, it can't be you know, uh, built up. It, it, it has to be practiced. Intimacy has to be practiced. And we practice intimacy and closeness with God in the moments that we come open. Because closeness with the one who created us is what we were made for. You and I were created for intimacy with God. It's not just about getting to heaven and being a good person. You know, this version of Christianity is honestly pretty boring. If all, if all we're doing is, you know, trying to be good and trying to keep our ducks in a row so that we can one day get to an all-inclusive resort, then I don't think it's, that's worth it. But... It also doesn't engage with our world, with who we really are, and it does nothing for our day-to-day. It's best if we just, you know, curb that understanding, curb that vision of, curb that version of Christianity, and let the trash people pick it up. But there's a, a deep satisfaction and fulfillment that comes from being close with God. It's this closeness that is cultivated when we allow ourselves to be dipped in the Spirit. And so Jesus needs to submerge us in the spirit so that we can be in close relationship with him. Secondly, Jesus needs to submerge us in the spirit so that we can know ourselves. When Jesus is baptized, he hears the words, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And scholars would consider this scene to be somewhat apocalyptic. And I know what you're thinking, um, apocalypse, apocalyptic isn't what we've been shown, you know, from watching the Left Behind series, if you've seen that. Or it's not, you know, this doomsday. Um, Revelation in, uh, I'm sorry, apocalypse in the true sense of the word means something that is not known being made known. It's this revelation, it's this unveiling. And what is being made known in this moment is that the Father affirms and endorses Jesus as he begins his ministry. Notice how backwards this is. You know, before Jesus says anything worthwhile, anything mentionable, before Jesus has anything on his resume, he hears the words, I love you, I'm proud of you. And if this means anything for us, it means that God parents differently than we do. That God's parenting is different from what we may have experienced. And to be honest, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. Um, Particularly when it comes to myself. You know, I hold myself to unrealistic standards. 
And I'd li- I often live with a lot of shoulds in my mind. You know, I, I should be more generous. I should have more control over my thoughts. I should be a better friend and husband. And this often made me difficult to accept that God really loves me just as I am. But subconsciously, I thought, you know, if I'm better, if I'm more put together, then really I can earn God's love. And really I can be doing what it is that God wants me to do. And yet here we have Jesus demonstrating what being a child of God is like. There is no earning. There's no competition. There is no shame. There is no guilt. There is no need to make up for anything. To be God's child is to receive. It's to receive God's love. It's to receive God's affirmation, God's endorsement. And notice that Notice, though, what comes before Jesus hears these words. It says, the Spirit descends on him like a dove. A gentle dove. It doesn't come down, you know, violently crashing on Jesus, but it's gentle. And I think being submerged in the Spirit, experiencing the Spirit, you know, kind of like how we've just heard these stories um, may be a scary thought for us, and I, and I get that, you know, especially when, you know, God has been misrepresented for us as somebody who is like a boss or somebody who is angry and, you know, keeps a list of rights and wrongs, and to be honest, I wouldn't open up myself to that kind of God either, you know, it sounds kind of like a tyrant, um, but this is why we need to hear these words for ourselves, When we start with knowing that God likes us, you know, not just that God loves you, but that God actually likes you, then opening ourselves to the Spirit, experiencing a submersion in the Spirit becomes a little less scary. And as Ed said yesterday, um, the you know, like Aslan, the great lion of Narnia, God too is gentle but also not safe. You know, if we want to live a, a life where we're not disturbed, where, you know, there is no disruption, where everything goes as it should, then um, giving ourselves to the Spirit will disrupt that in the best possible way. But the Spirit makes it possible for us to hear these words about ourselves. You know, when we are submerged in the Spirit, we begin to embody these words like Jesus did. We begin to believe um, that we are loved, that we are, uh, that, that, that God is proud of us. You know, these words are also for us apocalyptic. They, they reveal something about the heart of God. They reveal something about who we are. You know, that he calls you child, that he calls you loved, that he says he's proud of you. And if we're unsure about who God says that we are, then the Spirit makes it known that we are beloved, that we are sons and daughters. And that is why when we are getting prayed for often, what happens is we will hear things that will resonate deep in our hearts. It's like something something just crashed heavily. And it's like, man, I needed to hear that. Um, It just hits the deepest parts of our hearts And so let us, like Jesus, receive these words and live them out.
again, you know, this Jesus needs to submerge us in the Spirit so we can know ourselves and be like him. And the last reason that Jesus needs to baptize us is um, after Jesus, you know, when Jesus begins his ministry, he, he says this. He says, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And so the third reason is to do what he did. To do what he did. Um, repent. Let's be honest. There's a lot of baggage around this word, and it honestly makes me cringe. But it's often described as U-turning or returning back to God. But I think this focus, um, this focus is solely on our personal relationship and doesn't really consider the collective sense of the word. You know, the word change of mind is a little bit better, or the definition for repent is, is change of mind. That definition is a little bit better, but repent is much deeper than just changing our minds. How repent is used in this context in particular has more to do with the arrival of the kingdom than any of the uses that I just mentioned. And so I'd like us to think of repentance as reorientation of everything within us and around us. You know, when the internet came out, email became the new way of communication. And so everyone had to get an email account. Mine was raulxc92 at sbcglobal.net. Did anybody have an SBC Global account? Nobody, just me. Okay, great. Um, that's probably why they're not around anymore, because of all of you guys didn't have it. Um, or when Amazon Prime became mainstream, it changed everything about how we shop. You know, and people rarely go to the mall anymore. Lots of us shop from home. And similarly, since Netflix has launched, it has changed everything about how we watch movies. The arrival of these meant that we needed to position our lives in response to this new thing. We had to position our lives in response to this new thing. And similarly, the use of repentance here carries the idea that a new thing has broken through into our world. And Jesus is saying, position your life in response to this new reality. Position your life in response to this new reality. Jesus is saying, be reoriented to the new thing that I am doing. Does this mean we need to let go of certain things? It may be. But the Spirit will often draw us to the areas that need to be reoriented. Other times we need each other to show us, you know, where we are not being consistent in our reorientation to Jesus. And we need this because what Jesus is doing isn't compatible with the way things are in the world. Or the things that we've grown up with. Or the things that we've given ourselves over to. So this is how Jesus describes this new thing that he is doing. This is Isaiah 61. Jesus quotes from here. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Jesus quotes this passage in the Gospels, but have you ever wondered, you know, why does he choose this one? Why does Jesus choose this one? Of all the, you know, passages in the Old Testament, Jesus chooses to quote this one out of Isaiah. And I think it's important for us to consider the context. You know, the context of this passage is important for us to to note. This part of Isaiah came out um, in the 6th century BCE. After the people of Judah had been invaded by foreign powers, they were ripped from their homes, from their businesses, their families were separated, and they were exiled to Babylon, to this really, really bad place. And the people hearing these words were suffering from a deep trauma, from deep pain, from deep loss. And researchers will agree that trauma is often passed on generationally. You know, the pain that that they had experienced over the hundreds of years that they had been displaced and oppressed was passed on to later generations. And if any word could label, you know, this, these people at this time, I think it's the word pain. They had gone through so much pain. And Jesus here is the embodiment of these words. He says in Luke, these words are fulfilled, which suggests that he is the flesh to these words. That he is the ultimate servant who comes with good news, who comes to bind the brokenhearted, who comes to set people free. This is what Jesus does. And so a question I'd like to ask for us is, what pain are we carrying? What trauma has been passed on to us? Is Jesus wants to heal where it hurts. I had a lot of pain around family. Um, I, I love my family and I'm grateful for both my parents. But, you know, as you know, not every family is perfect. My parents, uh, they got separated when I was about 20, and it was the most painful experience of my life. It literally felt like flesh being torn in two. And it wasn't until much later that I brought the pain to Jesus. It wasn't until much later that I, that I, I just couldn't contain it anymore. And I, and I brought the pain of that experience to Jesus, and slowly but surely, he began to mend me. And put my heart back together with words like, you're my son. I'll never leave you. 
And I think people of color particularly carry loads of generational pain. From, you know, the violence that this country has at one point carried out against uh, black, brown, and Asian communities. I had a friend who um, is Japanese, and he had this heightened sense of anxiety. Um, and as he opened up about it, uh, other family members from his extended family became to come, you know, began to come forward, and they were like, "Hey, I, I shared that same anxiety." And they later discovered that um, this heightened sense of anxiety was traced down to his grandfather, who was ripped from his home and taken to Manzanar during World War II. And so pain is generational. And so let us not go in the camp of comparing our pain. You know, your pain is your pain. My pain is my pain. And regardless of what trauma we carry, Jesus wants to heal it. Jesus wants to heal the parts that hurt. You know, there's no need to, to fix ourselves. There's no need to you know, do this on our own. He's the one that puts us back together. And so I'm not saying we don't need things like medicine or therapy or, you know, systemic change and policies that affect people of color, but we need these, but, I'm sorry, these alone cannot substitute for the power of Jesus. We need these, but we can't make the mistake of thinking, once everything is put in order, then we'll be okay. You know, it's when we bring our pain to Jesus that we can do what Jesus did. Because God wants to use you. God wants to use me. God is into repurposing. And often he will repurpose the pain to release the kingdom in us and through us. See, God can take our pain. He can mend us. He can repurpose us. He puts us back together, and he uses us to help others. Uh, a friend of mine uh, grew up in East L.A., and he was surrounded by, uh, he grew up in the projects, um, which is government-issued housing. Um, and he was surrounded by gang violence, um, you know, in the middle of the night, there'd be bullets coming through his, his bedroom. And both his parents were gang members. Um, they made a living uh, dealing drugs. And eventually, before my friend was able to remember, his dad was killed in uh, gang violence by a rival gang. And sometime later, my friend became a Christian. He had met Jesus and he brought all of that pain, all of that built-up anxiety and fear and loss, and he brought it to Jesus. And over time, as God has been mending his heart, as God has been putting him back together, um, he sensed this, this almost, like a, almost like a pool to, to help people who were in his same situation. And so now he runs this ministry working with at-risk youth in, you know, areas that are affected by gang violence. And he's seen, 
He's seen the most incredible things. Young people who teachers have written off, young people who've, whose parents have forgotten about them, coming to meet Jesus, coming to experience the Spirit and have their lives completely transformed. Because this is what God does. This is what God does. This is who he is. God makes meaning out of the pain. There is no meaning for the pain. And if we've subscribed to the belief that all things happen for a reason, I'm sorry, but I just don't see this idea in the scriptures. I don't think this is true. I mean, just read the book of Job. You know, the guy did everything right and had a rough life. Um, But God repurposes us and makes meaning out of the pain. And we can only experience this mending, this putting back together when we allow ourselves to be submerged, when we allow ourselves to be open to the Spirit. Because Jesus needs to submerge us in the Spirit so that we can do what Jesus did. And I want to end here, if we can have the band come up. Um, I'd like to end with that same prophetic word that um, we shared earlier today. Let us just keep coming back. Let us be people who keep coming back for seconds, for thirds. We may not have it all together. We may have so much pain. We may have a million of other things going on. But God invites us to keep coming back, to keep experiencing his spirit so that we can be with him, so that we can be like him, so that we can do what he did. And so as we um, sing a song, I'd like to invite us to just bring all that we are, all that we are. There's no need to hold back. There's no need to be, um, to have reservations. This is your father who loves you. He says he's proud of you. And he calls you his child. And so as we stand, we're going to go into a song and then like always, we'll pray for people. Um, So if you join me in standing, we're going to sing a song. And again, I just invite you, just bring whatever it is that you're coming with and just say, God, here I am. Here's this. Here's that. Come, Holy Spirit.